Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So we're at the um, the fourth class of our look at the Anapanasati Sutta and the penultimate class of our uh, 2021 Vipassana Structured Study. Um, this part of the Anapanasati Sutta uh, is on the seven factors of awakening. And you'll, you'll see that the Buddha describes these seven factors of awakening not as something to grasp after, um, and really not even something to establish as Dhamma practice. These seven factors of awakening are developed through the Eightfold Path and the proper application of mindfulness, which is really what this factor is all about. So you'll hear the Buddha teaching us from 2,600 years ago to today that when mindfulness is properly developed, it leads to these crucial developments in our own awakening. Without these seven factors of awakening, a human being does not awaken. When these seven factors are fully developed as a consequence of, um, we'll call it right Dhamma practice, meaning integrating the Eightfold Path as intended, then these seven factors of awakening are a natural consequence of those. I just want to check something. So these seven factors of awakening... um, the Buddha's words. And how are the four foundations of mindfulness appropriately developed? So again, even during the Buddha's time, he recognized that there were people that were inappropriately developing the Dhamma and inappropriately developing an understanding of Four Noble Truths, or he wouldn't have given this teaching. And how are the four foundations of mindfulness appropriately developed so as to bring the seven factors of awakening to their culmination? Whenever a Dhamma practitioner remains focused on the body, free of distractions, what the Buddha is saying here, when a, when a Dhamma practitioner has united his mind and his body, we know when that's done properly, through proper jhana meditation, in that moment that, the, that the, the breath is united in the body, there's no eye-making. When that cycle is, when I am mindfully aware of that cycle, the in-breath and the out-breath, in that moment, there's no eye-making. There's only concentration. Now, for most of us, the next breath will also bring a distracted moment. Mindfulness tells us to recognize a distraction and take another breath and do what the Buddha is saying here. We remain focused on the body, free of distraction, ardent, ardent, alert, and mindful while putting aside craving and distress with reference to the world. So how would craving and distress with reference to the world arise in that moment? It would be because we want that moment to be different than it is. And it might even be, well, I want better concentration in this moment. You just lost your mind within jhana meditation. What do you do when you find that out? Take a breath, come back to your sensation of breathing, unite your mind and your body. They're all just a distraction. Even striving for concentration within jhana practice is is grasping and it's a distraction. 
what is the Buddhist counter to that natural tendency? The recognition of the four levels of jhana meditation. And we simply recognize them. We talked about that in other classes. And we did start a uh, 21 class uh, structured study of jhana meditation on our Thursday uh, classes. With reference to the world, their mindfulness is steady and continuous. Steady and continuous. That's how we know we're progressing. We don't strive for it because, again, if I'm always questioning, is my mindfulness steady and continuous? The answer to that question is an obvious no, isn't it? It's not. But when we disregard the eye-making within the question and simply just engage in our practice as it's presented, jhana meditation to incorporate the other seven factors of the Eightfold Path, then it is a natural occurrence of jhana practice. Everything... A dispassionate and impersonal jhana practice, uh, dharma practice rests in an authentic and skillful jhana practice. When mindfulness is steady and continuous, then mindfulness as a factor of awakening becomes directed. Becomes directed. The Buddha is saying we now have control of our minds. When mindfulness is steady and continuous, it forms the foundation for the culmination of its development. When one remains mindful in this way, examining and developing understanding of the qualities of mindfulness with discernment, with discernment, meaning discernment means with wisdom, framed by the Eightfold Path, then mindfulness of certain qualities as a factor for awakening arises. Certain qualities. So, even during the Buddha's time, he noticed that people were banding about this new term, almost a new religion during the Buddhist time as it is almost a new religion during our time of mindfulness. And this grasping after almost a compulsion to apply mindfulness to everything and calling it mindfulness. When in effect what you're doing is using mindfulness as a justification for being distracted to everything and, and putting the, the mindfulness envelope around everything when all you're doing is labeling something. It's not mindfulness. Certain mindfulness is what we're looking for as Dharma practitioners. Certain applications of mindfulness. Certain aspects of the Dhamma that we hold in mind. That's what I refer to as refined mindfulness. And then certain qualities as a factor of awakening arises. This is how right mindfulness is established as a factor or a quality of awakening. When one examines and comes to, to a comprehension of mindfulness as a factor of awakening, meaning right mindfulness, with discernment, investigation of the Dhamma arises. It is at that point that we have incorporated a measure of right or refined mindfulness, the seventh factor of the Eightfold Path. Then investigation of the Dhamma arises. So we have to have two components. Excuse me. that we must establish in the beginning of our Dhamma practice, and that's an authentic jhana practice that deepens concentration. <coughs> Excuse me. And then an understanding of how to properly apply that concentration to develop refined mindfulness. In other words, we're using concentration to understand how to apply mindfulness that culminates in the seven factors of awakening. 
the brilliance of the Buddhist Dhamma. Nothing is left to conjecture. Nothing is left to grasping after. Every step along the way in the Buddhist Dhamma, the only requirement for us as wise Dhamma practitioners is to follow direction. Period. Why do I say that? The Buddha's words. When investigation of the Dhamma arises and one who examines and comes to a comprehension of the comprehension of that quality with discernment framed by the Eightfold Path, then investigation of the Dhamma arising as a factor for awakening becomes aroused. It actually now your Dhamma practice is real. It's focused. It's resting in that that initial factor for awakening, meaning jhana meditation, the Buddha will touch on that shortly, informing and holding in mind refined mindfulness or right mindfulness. The Buddha continues, this is how investigation of the Dhamma is established as a factor or a quality of awakening. There's a direct process that the Buddha teaches for developing right mindfulness. A key factor of the Buddha's Dhamma, isn't it? So why would he leave it to our speculation and our grasping to say, just be mindful. Be mindful when washing the dishes. Be mindful when you're driving. Be mindful when you're walking. Be mindful when you're this. Be mindful when you're that. Because then he understood that people would make whole Dharma practices out of being mindful of your washing the dishes. He also understood as a con as a consequence of right mindfulness, we will naturally be mindful when we're washing the dishes or walking on a towpath or riding a bicycle or having a conversation or doing anything else that we might be doing. But when we establish these ordinary human activities as a, as a mindfulness practice, we've just lost Dhamma practice, haven't we? And we've made washing the dishes our Dhamma practice or being mindful when we're washing our dishes. So all day we're looking forward to getting, getting to our dirty dishes so we can have our, our Buddhist practice then during that 15 minutes of washing dishes. And we'll feel good about it. And we'll probably go to some unfocused sangha and we'll talk about the wonderful experience we had being mindful of washing our dishes. And we'll get rhetorical feedback that reinforces that. Oh, that sounded like a wonderful time. We do that with everything. A mind rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths will, will grasp at anything and establish it as important to that person, to that human being, when all that it is is a distraction. That's what the Buddha is teaching in the Anapanasati Sutta, which means mindfulness of the exalted breath. It's not direction for some type of meditation called anapana or anapanasati. And if we had a little time, I'd tell a joke related to that when I first started teaching, but I'll get to it in one of these classes. Anapanasati sutta is a description of right meditation, but it's not an introduction of some other form of meditation, as is almost everybody interprets it today. The Buddha continues, when one who examines and comes to a comprehension of investigation of the Dhamma arising as a factor for awakening, with discernment, persevering effort arises. 
Another word for persevering effort is right effort. So again, nothing is left to chance. The development of the Eightfold Path, the sixth factor now we're talking about, right effort, is not left to chance. It's not left to our own interpretation of what right effort might be, which for many people would be washing the dishes and being mindful of that. That's why the Buddha teaches this way. Because he noticed that same compulsive quality to take something that an awakened human being might mention, mindfulness, and say, okay, I got mindfulness down. I'm, I'm mindful all the time. When I'm driving, I'm mindful. Washing the dishes, mindful. When I'm meditating, I'm mindful. Meditating, I'm mindful. And again, you're substituting the word mindfulness for a practice that, that demands refined mindfulness and an understanding of the proper application of mindfulness. The, the, the way he, he says it is just amazing how you go from finally right practice in, in, uh, as in practicing your concentration, from there your mindfulness, that it naturally leads to wanting to investigate this what you yes. what you just found. Yes. And from from wanting to investigate this and understanding the Dharma, right effort is is a natural outflow of this. Yep, not something you start. Of course you want to do this because you see that it's working. Yes. What and all of this is reflected in that, that word the Buddha used often is ahipasiko. And that's why. Once you experience the Dhamma once you experience the power of the Dhamma and the focus of the Dhamma for yourself, in your own mind, united in its body, then your Dhamma practice is self-encouraged. It's not other-encouraged. It's not encouraged by that crazy bald guy you see on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays now, or whenever you get to class, whenever you can get to class, I should say. It's encouraged by your own experience. That's authentic Dhamma practice. And if you're not having that experience, you need to talk to somebody that has, meaning me, one of our teachers, other Sangha members that are party. That's why we have a well-informed and well-focused Sangha. So when we've lost that focus a little bit, it's the rest of the Sangha, through their own direct experience, that guides us back. Let me continue. Thanks, Rob. Got to go back. When persevering effort arises in one who examines, analyzes, and comes to a comprehension of that quality with discernment, then persevering effort arises as a factor of awakening becomes aroused. It's not something we grasp after. It's not something we feel, well, we must do if we want to get to Buddhist heaven. We do it because we have taken true refuge in the Buddha, the Dhamma, and a well-focused Sangha. We understand what we're doing. We understand that it's through our own efforts that we become, at using the Buddha's words, we become rightly self-awakened as exactly as he has. This is how persevering effort is established as a factor or a quality of awakening. When one whose persevering effort arises, joyful engagement or rapture, with the Dhamma arises. When joyful engagement with the Dhamma arises in one whose persistence is aroused, then joyful engagement with the Dhamma as a factor for awakening becomes aroused itself. So this thing that we talk about, rapture, again, is not something we grasp after. 
It's a natural consequence of understanding what we're doing. It doesn't mean we have complete understanding of the path to its culmination. It does mean through our own experience we understand what we're doing here. And every person that takes to jhana meditation knows what jhana meditation is. It only takes an initial instruction. Our minds are often distracted, especially those that have had a Buddhist practice and have tried every meditation method out there, to one that we might prefer or one that we've been practicing the most. Just a, just a quick sideline there. I started with TM, and I did it religiously, excuse the pun, uh, for about two and a half or three years until I became disappointed with that and started looking for other things. Many years later, and I still continued with uh, TM off and on through the years, until I came to jhana practice. And even when I was practicing only jhana meditation, for quite a few years, every now and then I'd find myself sitting in jhana practice and being distracted by my mantra. And those that know TM know that you're going, you go through this rather long ritual told that it's a very secret, you're given this word that's secret, nobody else has it. I found out right after that that there's seven common words in Kriya Yoga, and those are the words that are used and you're never supposed to reveal. Uh, mine was harim, H-R-I-M. It's not magical, so I can do that. But anyway, the point is, and the, the, the word isn't diminished by using it, it's just a word. It has no, no sound, no sacredness to it. It's just a word, four, four letters. Um... What I found, even after many years of jhana meditation, is I'm sitting there stuck in my mantra again. That's called conditioned thinking. And what did I do when I found myself stuck in jhana in, in, a, in my mantra again? The only thing I could do, I got up off my cushion and I, I whipped myself hard for about 50... <laughs> self <-like>. self <clears throat> For being so stupid. What I did is I recognized that I was stuck in a conditioned view and a conditioned thought and I came back to the sensation of breathing. And it honestly, it took a couple years, not that this happened often, but when it did, it took a couple years of that to, to then get to the point where a few years later I realized that, wow, I haven't had my, my harim hasn't come up in, in quite a few years now. But that's just an aspect of conditioned thinking. And so it, it was something that I had to deal with along with other meditation methods that I had learned along the way and to finally settle on and realize that jhana meditation is what I am going to use if I'm going to be a Dharma practitioner. Sorry for that long diatribe on that. This is how joyful engagement with the Dhamma is established as a factor or quality of awakening. When one is joyful engaged, joyfully engaged with the Dhamma, the body grows calm and the mind grows calm through joyful engagement with the Dhamma. Following these this, these. These, this development of these factors of awakening, very quickly and with complete direction and control on our part, our body grows calm and our mind does too. Dhamma practice. Our, our body grows kind, calm and our mind does too. Not because of some grace or gift from an outside agency or even the Buddha or even your own teacher. Through your own right effort, your body grows calm and your mind does too. When the body and mind of a, of a wise Dhamma practitioner is joyfully engaged with the Dhamma, then tranquility as a factor of awakening arises. This is how tranquility is established as a factor of, of awakening. Not tranquility meditation. 
not engaging in meditation to develop tranquility. Because what is it? A human mind doesn't know where tranquility is until it experiences it. If it decides it wants tranquility, it'll never have it. But if it decides it wants to be well concentrated, then according to an awakened human being, it can develop tranquility as a factor of that concentration and refined mindfulness. It's not its own meditation method. When one who is tranquil, the mind and body calms, the mind develops concentration. When the mind of one who is tranquil and well concentrated, then concentration as a factor for awakening arises. So there's kind of people saying, wait a minute, aren't I already concentrated? Yes, you're using concentration now to develop what the Buddha taught in every every jhana sutta that references the four levels of jhana. He teaches that there's that fourth level of jhana that is characterized as, as equanimity, and yet there's also ever-deepening levels of that equanimity. I got a question a few years ago that I thought was so interesting, that, and it was from a, a relatively new Dhamma practitioner, and they were kind of excited and a little bit agitated. And their question was, why did the Buddha keep meditating after he awakened? And so immediately there was something telling in that, and he was seeing meditation as a burden to get over, to get through, so that he can abandon it. And he was concerned because he just came to the realization that the Buddha meditated every day of his life for 45 years post his awakening. Why did he do that? Why would he do it? Does anybody know why the Buddha kept meditating? Why he kept up with his burden of meditation after he awakened? Why would he do it? Jen? Because um, he was joyfully engaged in the Dhamma. And why wouldn't he? He was very joyful to meditate. Yeah. Why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't anybody who is joyfully engaged in her Dhamma practice want to meditate, even post-awakening? It's not a burden, is it? It's simply a, a, a post-awakening, it's simply a direct way of enjoying the peace of concentration. But we get to experience that peace of concentration in every breath we take during jhana meditation. And you've heard me say it before. Jhana meditation is both the practical experience and the obvious metaphor for an awakened human being. It's what it looks like, and it's what it feels like. This is how concentration is established as a factor or a quality of awakening. When one whose concentration is established, equanimity arises. Again, equanimity is not something to, to grasp after, it's, some, it's something to notice as the fourth foundation of mindfulness. When equanimity arises, then equanimity as a factor of awakening also arises. Makes sense, doesn't it? This is how equanimity is established as a factor or a quality of awakening. Furthermore, one, one remains mindful of the quality of mind in reference to the Four Noble Truths. The quality of mind in reference to the Four Noble Truths. What does it mean? Remain mindful of knowing that this is stress. This is the origination of stress. What is the origination of stress? Craving for and clinging to fabricated beliefs of yourself in relation to the world. This is the origination of stress. This is the cessation of stress. What the Buddha is saying is pay attention so that you can recognize the cessation of stress. There's a culmination or a culminating factor of that during the awakening process. 
But there's also the cessation of stress each and every time we take a breath during Zen meditation. Every time we unite the mind and the body is the experience of the cessation of stress. For most of us, the next breath is going to give rise to that cessation of stress. And we take another breath and diminish stress again. This is, this, this is the cessation of stress. This is the Eightfold Path leading to the cessation of stress, knowing it. In this way, meaning in this way, practicing in this way, the Buddha is saying, one remains mindful of the quality of mind, free of distraction internally and externally. We stop creating internal fabrications and external fabrications, such as if I do 108,000 prostrations, then I can begin my Dhamma practice. Or if I am compassionate to everyone I meet, I'll get a reward in Buddha's heaven. One remains mindful of the phenomena of the origination of the qualities of mind, excuse me, and the arising and passing away, impermanence. There is knowledge of the of the there is the knowledge of the maintenance of qualities of mind and their and their recollection, independent of and not clinging to anything in the world. Your mind is free of entanglements. This is how one remains mindful of the seven factors of awakening in and of themselves, meaning the seven factors of awakening without any adaptation, accommodation, or embellishment. The Buddha says, I came to direct knowledge of fabrications, direct knowledge of the origination of fabrications, direct knowledge of the cessation of fabrications, and direct knowledge of the Eightfold Path leading to the cessation of fabrications. He's, he's declaring that, making that declarative statement so that we know that's what we're, we will do too. Now, if anyone develops the four foundations of mindfulness in this manner for seven years, I mentioned this to our, on our Thursday class to uh, Matteo and Tom are on, um, so you'll remember when I said this. In this manner for seven years, one could expect either complete understanding here and now if there is any clinging and maintaining remaining in this present lifetime. Let alone seven years, if anyone perfectly develops these four foundations of mindfulness in this manner for six, or five, or four, or three, or two, or one year, for six months, or three months, for one month, for two weeks, for seven days, for even seven days, one could expect either complete understanding here and now, or if there is any clinging and maintaining remaining in this present lifetime. Practice the Dhamma and you can awaken in this present lifetime. Forget the nonsense of endless eons. I can't remember how many times I was told we teach awakening here, but forget about awakening because it takes endless eons. And then I would often be given, that's a common teaching, uh, that human beings are not capable of awakening in this lifetime anymore. But go ahead and practice anyway. The, the, the inference is that the Buddha may interject himself yet again in physical form and save us all. Because he's done that before. Of course, the Buddha never did that. But that's what the Garjana mentioned, that Dogen mentioned, the, the, the Buddha teaching in disincarnate forms. It, the legend is that the Buddha, even, even during his physical dispensation, when he was alive in human form, 
He left the human form at least two times and went, one time was to teach his mother, to teach the a complete Dhamma that was then protected by the Nagas, hence the name Nagarjuna, the Nagas, the snake people, until human beings were ready to receive the Dhamma, when they were intellectually capable enough to receive the Dhamma. Well, what about all the human beings that were intellectually capable enough to hear the Dhamma's teaching, or were they not? Did the Buddha waste his time for 45 years teaching Dhamma almost every day of his life? Was it a complete waste of time because those people weren't incapable of learning? And at some future time, human beings will be so evolved that they will be? Does it make any sense? Yet, I was taught that over and over again. And some of you have heard that, that type of teaching. Human beings aren't capable of awakening in this lifetime. Wrong, according to the Buddha. <clears throat> Friends, this is the direct path for the purification of all beings. For the cessation of sorrow and regret, for the disappearance of pain and distress, for the establishing the right method of practice, and for complete unbinding from fabricated views. In other words, the four foundations of mindfulness. The four foundations of mindfulness, when the Buddha is referring to the... Excuse me. Refer to the process that we use in jhana meditation. Being mindful of the breath in the body, being mindful of feelings arising and passing away, being mindful of thoughts arising and passing away, and being mindful of the ever-changing quality of mind. You hear me say, be at peace with a less than peaceful mind state. That's what it means. Whatever quality of mind we find ourselves in, no matter how agitated, let me say it this way, no matter how distract, distracted by agitation or distracted by bliss. Remember, following your bliss is following distraction. Distracted by agitation or distracted by your own bliss, take a breath and unite your mind and your body. And then I might add, in this context, and forget about it until the next breath arises. When one is mindful of the arising and the passing away of all internal and external phenomena, their mind and body united, their quality of mind established in concentration and equanimity, the development of the four, four foundations of mindfulness brings the seven factors of awakening to culmination. In other words, authentic Dhamma practice develops the factors of awakening. All that we need to do is recognize their development and feed them. Continue to give them sustenance. How? With Dhamma practice. This is how the four foundations of mindfulness are appropriately developed so as to bring the seven factors of awakening to their useful culmination. Um, I'm going to continue. I don't think we're going to have time for discussion uh, because I, ha I have a I have, a, I have to get picked up today, so I have a, a hard close. Or should we finish? Hold on one second, please. Okay. Or should we finish on Tuesday? Anthony, what were you going to say? I have to log off for a second and log back on because I have to retire Alfredo Hernandez. They need it for a substance abuse group. Okay, we sh we uh, we're gonna we'll be we'll be here. We got it. We're gonna be here for at least twenty five more minutes. Um, you know what? Let let's let's finish on Tuesday, because I think there's so much here to begin with anyway. Yeah, it's a great suit. Okay, we'll go around the room. I'll start. I'll uh, we'll go around in in uh, 
in person here first. Go ahead, Anthony. We'll we'll catch up to you when you get back on. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. So we'll finish this on. Uh, Maybe on Tuesday, maybe on Saturday, definitely by September, and uh, and then we'll have the Apata suit. Uh, we'll just go back to the beginning. Ron, what do you think? Uh, you know, I've always thought of the, the the seven factors of awakening as just another list, and I, I I've looked at it a couple of times in the beginning. It was like, okay, I got to do all that stuff, yeah, and now I'm realizing it's just a description of how proper practice, how it works, yeah. how you get from one step to another. But it's so important as that. Yeah. Ordinary teaching. Right? Yeah, it's, it's, an ordinary, it, it's all about um, sticking to it, basically. Yep. He, he said if you stick to it for, what, seven days, and you're good to go. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. It, it's so interesting to me that... that uh, this, this sutta is called the Anapanasati Sutta, and basically it says... Don't make anything else out of Dhamma practice. Just practice it. Mm -hmm. And yeah. one of the first meditations, I think it was, maybe I shouldn't say his name since he's not, one of the people that joined us on Thursday talked about just going to an Anapana, doing an Anapana retreat or an Anapana. And I, I did that too. The, 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 the short, the quick story is that when I first started teaching uh, meditation, it was right next door in the building, right next door here. And the 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 I can't tell the whole story, but the person who put out the first flyer just called every type of meditation method in the world Anapanasati. And that was on the flyer for my first meditation class. Oh. Come meet John Haspel. He's teaching Anapanasati. And so right from the beginning, I was just playing uh, a fabricated Dhamma. <laughs> I came to realize the, the errors of my ways. Thank you, Ron. Jen! Hi, John. Um, thank you for this teaching today. I think I'm good for today. Good. Thank you. Yeah, and I do have to still be finished rather quickly, so <clears throat> try to be succinct. Hello, Becky. Hello. Hello, everyone. But please share whatever you like. So nice to be back. Um, <clears throat> all I can say is I'm really looking forward to the structured study on this sutta. Me too. Yeah. Mm. It's uh, made me realize... I, I don't know, I can't even describe, made me just realize uh, so many connections yeah. are are here in this in this sutta. Yeah. And it makes you start to connect parts of the whole picture that you've never thought of before. That yes, that's it. yes. So you got it the way that the, the the way the Buddha intended, and why he taught it was just that. So we we, we we see the we see the the whole picture. Remember how the sutta started, that he he's using a, a group of twenty seven or twenty eight uh, accomplished. There was only monks in the sangha at the time. Twenty seven or twenty eight accomplished monks as an example of dharma practice, and he started this, this whole sutta by saying the first thing they did is they established the four foundations of mindfulness as their jhana practice. And then he said, and then they accomplished this, 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 and this. And this is what it looked like. And Becky got it. Congratulations. I need to get it more, though. Where's so that? Don't. The, the structured study is, I'm going to look forward to it. Yeah, that. I'm trying to do, well, we'll, well, I'll be talking a little bit more about okay. it and deciding when we're actually going to do it. Hello, Kevin. Hello, John. Thank you. And it's obviously that we're all getting it. And 
you know, we're all headed that way. So yeah. thank you very much. Thank you for being here. Good morning, Adam. Good morning, friends. Thank you for that, John. I can say two things on Nick and both really quick. The first one was I found this to be uniquely intellectual uh, uh, sutta. Um, I think a few weeks back, Ron had pointed out how different the teachings are from the suttas are from each other, depending on the on the topic and the uh, and the, the crowd hearing it. This one I, I thought was really unique in its tone is of intellectualism, which I really like. Yeah, I like this variety. Second thing was. Um, uh, seeing the three jewels as something you return to, particularly, I'm thinking particularly of, of the Sangha, the same way you return to your breath, uh, something that kind of struck me. But I don't know if you said it or something in the sutta, but that I found rather profound. Yeah, And uh, I think really helpful. Yeah. So thank you very much. Thank you. I, I think we, the, the next small structure study we're going to do is, is going to be three suttas on taking refuge. I think it's just a good time to do that again, which we, have, we, we probably did it right before the beginning of this, but COVID? just kind of getting the feeling it's a good time to do it. Maybe not, I don't know, but I, I usually do go back to that. But thank you, Adam. Brett, good to see you this morning. <clears throat> good to see you. Um, thank you for the teaching. Good to be here. Uh, good to listen to everybody. And uh, yeah, I came, I came in here trying to figure everything out in my head. Did you? Yeah. Good. And I wasn't getting anywhere <laughs> at all. So like, you know, coming back from my breath, and then I'm like, well, there, there it is. Now, I, like, re, return your breath in body, and then you're like, oh, it's right here in front of me. Yeah. And there's nothing to figure out. So not a, not a damn thing. <laughs> well said, Brent. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. Good morning, Mary. Uh oh. Here. Have some coffee, Mary. <laughs> You're coming across very slow. Yeah. We can hear you. I'm glad you joined us today, Mary. She's probably still talking because she doesn't hear Oh, we, we can't hear you. That's great. I'm going to uh, take noble silence. Wait, you're good now. Oh, she just said she's going to take noble silence. Ah. So that was <laughs> I thought she was talking the whole time. That whole time she was telling us she was going to take noble That's silence. That's all we Well, <laughs> Mary, Mary was teaching it. Mary gave us a lesson on impermanence. Now she's gone. So thank you, Mary. How are you, Brian? Good, John. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. everything in here and, and again I think somebody said something a, a couple of weeks ago about that multifaceted jewel yeah turning it over in your hand you just see different facets that you didn't see before yeah it just all comes together and you're right you don't have to be perfect or memorize it you just have to sit down and do it and practice and it, it just starts to come together yeah it, it, thank you Brian it, I don't think I've ever taught the Anapanasati Sutta in five classes at least five um and I've actually taught it a few times in one sitting mm -hmm. on retreat, which is tough. Um, but the reason why is because I can, because of the, our, our well-informed and well-focused Sangha understands this, these concepts at such a deeper level that I can gab for hours on it and you understand it. <laughs> I'm real, I mean, it, we, 
you understand it so much more that allows me to get a little bit more nuanced about it too, and I'm not just misleading you. So it really is remarkable what you've all developed here. Matteo, how are you? Hi, everybody. Um, yeah, all good. Um, yeah, for me, this one is a very important sutra. So I I went through many years again and again, and again, you you give me like a simple and clear um, vision of this sutra, yeah. especially for the mindfulness part, because like, you know, I experience exactly what you experience. You go everywhere and say, oh, just be mindful, be mindful. But then I say, what does it mean, be mindful? Yeah. And just like... Uh, because I have just one question, just like a curious question. Why your opinion, uh, Siddhartha, uh, choose the number seven? Why say like in seven days or in seven years? Just because the seven factor awakening? Or give me one second. Um, there, there's no, there's no significance. There's no significance to the number seven. Like if, if you're, and I don't know if you're inferring this or not, but in magical or mystical terms, right. it's just what he came up with. And uh, if you remember that there was no, there was, there was writing present in the world during the Buddha's lifetime, um, but most people didn't employ it and the Buddha didn't either. Um, so they, re, they memorized things and the best way to memorize something is to create a list. And that's yeah. just, and that, by the way, that was the beginning of Buddhist chant was only to, as a, uh, memorization tool. It wasn't for any type of uh, spiritual reason. But. So that, you know, there, and so there just happened to be four noble truths and, you know, there, there happens to be seven factors of awakening. There happens to be eight factors of a path that the Buddha taught. But the numbers are only relevant to the to the, the list at hand. Okay. Well, just good, important question. Thank you. Tom, good to see you this morning. John, hello everyone. Um, I'm sorry, I've got a, I'm in a public place at the moment, so there's quite a lot of background noise, so I'll be very quick. Um, but uh, yeah, just, um, I guess, was it, what, what, are, what are words, steady and continuous? Um, those are the words that sort of um, yeah. are speaking most powerfully to me uh, today, just to, um, yeah, just just to not be sort of, um, not get not get down when you maybe wobble on the path and just keep coming back to that it's all about consistency and just yeah yeah keep going um so that's why even though i'm in the middle of london at the moment and it's not the best place to be meditating or to join the sangha it's, i just wanted to be here to, because i feel that just connecting to you and listening to everyone is just the best way to yeah. stay encouraged and to um yeah to keep going to, yeah. to keep consistent Keep steady. So that's all I wanted to share. And thank you, John, for your teachings, and thanks everyone else for sharing. Thank you, Tom. I just want to use you as as an object. What Tom is exampling here is right effort. You know, we decided to join today. That's part of his dharma practice. That's right. And we all did it. This is what we're all doing right here, right now, is right effort. This is what it looks like. It's not complicated. It's not hard. And it's just part of Dhamma practice. Yeah. It's just, and we're it's, already joyfully engaged. Yeah, that's right. And when you when you actually start practicing the Dhamma the way it's intended, you realize it is the most ordinary way to live in the world. It it is a way of living in the world free of any embellishments. David, how are you? you hey, John. Good morning. You did make it home, okay, right? Well, uh, I don't have a nice location like London, but I'm in Doyle's town. Oh, you're still there. Broken down and 
experiencing the valley where it is, and it's a pretty good day. So uh, I'm about to pick up an electric car to go home, and uh, I'll see you Tuesday. All right, and, and David, it sounds like you're not taking any of it personally, so good for you. <laughs> a mind of equanimity. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, David. Karen, say, please say hello to us. It's good to see you. Yes, hi, everybody. As hi, usual, I've got a lot of catching up to do, so <laughs> I'm just going to keep noble silence, but thanks to everybody for sharing. I'm, I'm glad you joined us, Karen. And there, all the talks on this suit are on the website, so I'll get this one up soon. So. Hope Thank to see you. you soon. All right, we got to uh, got a boogie. Um, let me just bookmark this page. All right, we'll finish with Meta as we always do. The Buddha's words on Meta from the Karaniya Meta Sutta. Uh, as translated by the Amaravati Monastery in London, England. The Buddha's words. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature, let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing, in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short, or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, Free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being free of all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.